If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Now, from the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson. It's Tuesday, December 21st, 2021. This is The Guy Benson Show. I'm Guy Benson, your host. Thank you so much for tuning in. Merry Christmas. It is Christmas time in the city, New York City, where we're doing the show today and tomorrow, and likely Thursday as well. I'm in town for Gutfeld tonight, 11 p.m. Eastern time on Fox News Channel. I'll be on the panel. Also filling in for Kennedy tomorrow evening. Here on the radio, our website, GuyBensonShow.com. That's GuyBensonShow.com. The podcast is free every day. On today's program, Dr. Mark Siegel will join us in the next hour on all things COVID. It's beginning to feel a lot like March of 2020 in some ways, although not in other ways. As President Biden said moments ago, he has just given a speech. He's taking some questions in the White House right now. We might go to that here in just a few moments. But Dr. Mark Siegel, one of our medical experts here at Fox News, he will join us in the next hour, as will Governor Chris Sununu, Republican of New Hampshire. Matt Finn will also be here, our colleague at Fox News. He's covering the Smollett trial. There's an update there involving potential prosecutorial corruption on the part of the local Chicago prosecutor. That's an interesting update that Matt will have for us. And last but not least, in our final hour, Ambassador Robert O'Brien, former national security advisor under President Trump. We will ask him about China and Taiwan. We will ask him about Russia and Ukraine. We will ask him about new developments and heartening developments, I would say, on the Abraham Accords. History being made just in recent days, one of the big legacies on foreign policy of the last administration. Robert O'Brien will join us. Fox News alert as we get going here. Let's look at stats on COVID. 51.1 million cases, and Omicron is now the dominant strain in the United States, according to the CDC. Cases have exploded. But cases are very different than hospitalizations and deaths. Lagging indicators, but the good news continues to pile up. We continue to see data indicating that Omicron and this wave While, yes, it's a much more transmissible form of the virus, it is less severe and less virulent. That is extremely encouraging. The death toll overall since the beginning of the pandemic here in the United States, 806,335. The Dow is up 532 points right now. It's at 35,465 with less than an hour to go in the trading day, just a few blocks south of where I sit in New York City. We'll bring you another Fox News alert. As I mentioned, President Biden giving a speech on COVID. And he made some points that I think were actually pretty welcome. 
I'll explain in just a moment. But he is, this is a rarity, taking questions from the news media. So let's listen into President Biden as journalists ask him questions on COVID at the White House. You need to surge rapid tests for just this moment. Is it a failure that you don't have an adequate amount of tests for everyone to be able to get one if they need one right now? No, it's not. Because COVID is spreading so rapidly. If you notice, it just it just happened almost overnight, just in the last month. What's your name? Mr. President. So, no. It's not a failure. But the alarm bellowing off. I don't think anybody anticipated that this was going to be as rapidly spreading as it did. And so the question is, we had a lot of people who have access to tests, who could order them, could, could uh, have their insurance pay for them, et cetera. But it all started, and all of a sudden, it was like everybody rushed to the counter. It was a big, big rush. And I knew that was coming. So what I tried to do is meet with the companies and use the uh, Defense Production Act to get a half a billion more tests and figure out how to get them to their homes, get them on the shelves in the store. I mean, so that, that, that's what it's all about. Yes. Mr. President, what's your message to Americans who are trying to get tested now and who are not able to get tested and who are wondering what took so long to ramp up testing? Come on, what took so long? That's what I'm, I'm hearing that from people who are trying to get tested now before the holidays. Well, what took so long didn't take long at all. What happened was the Omicron virus spread even more rapidly than anybody thought. If I had told you four weeks ago that this would spread by a day-to-day basis, it would spread by 50, 100 percent, 200 percent, 500 percent, I think you would have looked at me and said, Biden, what are you drinking? But that's what it did. Now, we don't know what's going to happen from here. It looks there, there's some evidence that in South Africa, where a lot of this started, that it's dropping off quickly, too. We don't know. But I do know that we're not going to be in a position, like I said, when we remember we were having a problem with masks and gowns and the like. I said, I promise you. Remember the criticism? I got questions from some of you. Why are you still paying for all these masks and gowns? Why are you stockpiling this? Because we don't know. Turns out we're going to need in the back and then. Does it work, sir? And will you reverse the travel ban now that Omicron is so prevalent here in the U.S.? I'm considering reversing. I'm going to talk with my team in the next couple of days. Um, look, remember why I said we put the travel ban on is to see how much time we had before it hit here so we could begin to decide what we needed by looking at what's happening in other countries. And but we're past that now. Okay, so that's President Biden at the White House just moments ago answering some of the questions after giving his speech. You heard the challenge that he was faced with on testing and the failure of testing, and he seemed a little defensive there. I overall appreciated the tone and content of his speech. Didn't agree with every word of it for sure. But as far as Biden goes, I thought it was pretty good. His spin, however, on testing, I think, is weak and not terribly convincing at all. It is, to me, indefensible that two years into this almost, we still have huge shortages of easily available, cheap or free testing. 
Now, I don't think we should just be testing everyone as a matter of course all the time. I think we should reserve testing for the most part for symptomatic people who might have a symptom or a few symptoms maybe of COVID. Because if you have a bunch of people potentially testing positive with extremely mild cases, you're going to have more of a panic and more things getting shut down needlessly than is, I would say, merited by the data and by the science. Nevertheless, to have long lines of people in major American cities, including here in New York, waiting sometimes for hours just to get tested. You go to a CVS or a Walgreens to try to find some at-home tests, sold out. It is a failure that at this stage of the pandemic, that is still the case. And I don't think that there's really a good excuse. His answer was, well, it's because COVID has just spread so rapidly. No one could have seen this coming. Although the promise of this president when he was a candidate was to shut down and crush the virus. He said it over and over again on the campaign trail. In fact, let's remember together, cut 14. What I would say is I'm going to shut down the virus, not the country. I'm not going to shut down the country. I'm going to shut down the virus. I'm going to shut down the virus. I'm going to shut down the virus. I'll shut down the virus, not the economy. I'm going to shut down the virus. Once we shut down the virus, I'm going to shut down the virus. I'm going to shut down the virus. I'm not going to shut down the country, but I'm going to shut down the virus. Over and over again, he said it. And now being asked questions, I think fair questions, about a lack of testing capacity. He's saying, oh, well, it's just because this virus has spread so rapidly all over the place, which is an admission of failure. And you might say, well, it's not really his fault. There's been mutations. There are variants. Things change. That's all true. I'm not saying Joe Biden is personally responsible for all of this, like a lot of people tried to pretend about President Trump and have tried to pretend about certain governors as well for political reasons. I'm not going to do that. What I am going to do is note that he promised voters that he was going to shut down the virus. And now the excuse that he's making less than a year into his presidency, but almost a year, more than a year since he was elected, the virus is so not shut down that it's not his administration's fault that there aren't nearly enough tests to meet demand. Now, what did I like about the speech? He did take a step back from the panic footing that we're seeing in the press. I do appreciate that. Was his message perhaps muddled a bit by some hacking and coughing throughout the speech, given the subject matter? Perhaps yes. But just on the substance of it, I like the fact that he was saying, yes, it's a cause for concern. Yes, we should be vigilant and do what we can, but let's not panic. He also, and this is something that I wish he had done from the beginning, and he has not been good or consistently good on this. And indeed, it plays into something that we played on the show yesterday. Former President Trump in a public appearance with a big crowd saying that, yes, he got the booster shot. And when a small smattering of people jeered or booed, he shut that right down. He said, no, we developed these vaccines. We've saved millions of lives. Let's take credit for it. Let's not play into the hands of the left and let them be the ones who own the achievement 
of the Trump administration. So he was going on offense and getting aggressive about the fact that he received the booster shot and wanting to take that credit, which I think is completely understandable. I wish President Biden on a more sort of consistent basis or regular basis would credit the Trump administration for Operation Warp Speed and what they achieved, which was epic. They were handed off three successful vaccines. There were other therapeutics in the pipeline when Biden took office. I think, frankly, we should have an Operation Warp Speed on testing capacity, but also on these therapeutics like the Pfizer pill on antibodies. Those should be widely available. He keeps saying the booster shot is widely available. Well, how true is that? Maybe in some places, yes. In other places, my husband has to wait weeks to get his booster shot. He finally found an appointment. My parents, who are in their 60s, they live in a deep blue state. They finally decided, okay, let's make an appointment. It took them weeks to find an appointment, and that's coming up at the end of December. It's not like you can just waltz into a local place and get your booster shot on demand all over the country. Christine, our producer, just tried it, and they said, we don't have an opening until January. How is that acceptable? This is one of the big things that I keep asking. How, in December of 2021, approaching 2022, do we have not enough tests to go around and long wait lists to get booster shots? When they were bragging about all the many millions upon millions and millions of doses that they ordered, why is this so difficult? That, I think, is one of the failures from a president who promised to shut down the virus and what we're seeing now doesn't feel like that, does it? It really doesn't. But he did, to come back to my point, Biden today, credit the previous administration for Operation Warp Speed and the development of the vaccines. He actually directly credited them. He also noted that President Trump has gotten his booster. He said it's one of the only things he and I agree on. That's a magnanimous note that I think is helpful. Because what Biden so often does is try to reject anything related to Trump, anything that might be tied to Trump, that is not helpful or productive when it comes to vaccines. You're going to be talking about how important vaccines are and consistently refusing to really give credit where it's due. He broke from that pattern today, which I think is a welcome thing. One other thing that he said, I'm going to play you a soundbite when we come back. He was insisting It's not March 2020 all over again. And he's right. He's right on the merits. He's right on a few key points. However, it kind of feels a little bit like March of 2020 again, doesn't it, in some ways? It's hard to escape that nagging feeling right now, especially in a place like this, New York City. We'll get you that soundbite. Then I have a question for all of you about it. 833-456-1300, write down our toll-free number. 833-456-1300, a question when we return, and then some of your phone calls. We just heard from President Biden. I want to hear from you coming up in just a few minutes on The Guy Benson Show. Guy Benson will be right back. The world of business moves fast. Stay on top of it with the Fox Business Rundown every Monday and Friday. Listen to the Fox Business Rundown starting May 20th at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. So the best thing to do is get fully vaccinated and get your booster shot. 
And no, this is not March of 2020. 200 million people are fully vaccinated. We're prepared. We know more. We just have to stay focused. So that's where we stand. I'm Guy Benson. We're back. That was President Biden moments ago at the White House in this speech that he gave on COVID. And he's saying it is not March of 2020. And he's responding to that because that's how it feels to a lot of people. And of course, he's correct. We have so many people vaccinated. We have the vaccines. We have the boosters. We have a whole toolkit, a whole array, myriad pieces of information, knowledge about this disease therapeutics and treatments. The new variant, which is now dominant in the United States, is less deadly, less lethal, less virulent. That's all the data that we've seen so far, which is great. It's not March 2020 in a lot of important ways. He's right. However, some of the atmospherics kind of feel eerily reminiscent. There are echoes of March of 2020. People canceling plans. People who were going to come to New York for shows that I know personally, the shows were canceled. Theaters closing. Sporting events getting shut down. The NHL just said, you know what, we're done until the new year. A lot of question marks around various forms of entertainment. I know people whose Christmas plans have been completely uprooted. There's a lot of upheaval. Christine, our producer, she had her friends cancel some Christmas plans. Other friends of hers had very expensive tickets to an event that they are now choosing not to attend anymore because of Omicron. We also have long lines for scarce tests, right? There are certain things that absolutely feel in a creepy way like they did at the very beginning of the pandemic. And that's, I think, part of the frustration that many Americans feel right now. Here's my question for you. 833-456-1300. That's our phone number here at The Guy Benson Show. It is toll-free. Have your Christmas plans changed because of Omicron? I mean, it is spreading like wildfire. It is very transmissible, less severe, which is good. But, I mean, I know lots of people now who are fully vaccinated, even boosted, who have this thing. Are your Christmas plans altered? Are you just plowing forward and not making any changes? Have your plans already changed? Or is it kind of TBD? That's what it is for my family. As of now, we're plowing forward. If someone tests positive, do I want to expose my parents to that? Or, you know, things might change. It's a very unsettled feeling ahead of Christmas. What are you doing in your household about Christmas and Omicron? 833-456-1300. Your calls straight ahead on The Guy Benson Show. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson. Back on the Guy Benson Show, one of my favorite 
Christmas songs. Straight No Chaser, if you're listening on the broadcast. Indiana University Acapella Group. Their spin on the 12 Days of Christmas, just spectacular every year. Welcome back to the show. GuyBensonShow.com, our website. Podcast always free. And here's our toll-free telephone number if you want to be a part of the show today. 833-456-1300. And the lines are lighting up. 833-456-1300. My question is this, and I ask it because it's what everyone is talking about. I was in... The Deep South for a wedding, I had layovers in Texas, I've been in D.C. and New York, and people are just asking each other, all right, you know, what's the deal for Christmas? You think some things might get closed off? What happens if there's a positive test? A lot of people are like, hell, we're moving forward no matter what. We've had enough of this. We're doing what we're doing. Other people have already changed their plans, whether they want to by choice, whether they feel like they have to. And then there are other folks like me, kind of wait and see. I believe we're going to have our Christmas as planned. I also believed we were going to have our Thanksgiving as planned, and my in-laws got COVID, so they didn't come. So it's a bit of a waiting game for us. What are you doing in your family? Has this Omicron spread, which has been a rapid spread, even among vaccinated people, has this affected or altered your plans at all? For the holidays. 833-456-1300. Let's start with Terry in Arkansas. Terry, I'm glad you're listening. Welcome. Thank you so much. As of now, my plans have not changed um, for Christmas. We're just having a small gathering as it is. We do have to be conscientious simply because my mother-in-law is 92 years old. That being said, we are scheduled to go from Arkansas down to Tampa, Florida for the Outback Bowl. And um, my son and his friend and my husband and I, as of now, we are planning to cheer on the Hawks. Um, With all of the sports cancellations, it's getting a little more nerve-wracking because with the NHL doing what they did, and now you realize that it just takes a few cases of COVID for them to shut down. And then the other thing that makes it um, definitely – A tougher decision is both of my parents died of COVID in the very early stages of 2020. I'm so sorry. They were one of the, thank you so much. They were one of the uh, first two cases in the state of Kansas, um, died on consecutive days. Um, So COVID hits very close to me. I'm very, very, very attentive and in tune with what is going on, but I'm telling you guys, for the first time in a long time, I'm like, holy crap, this is 2020 all over again. It does. And it's bringing back the same feelings my sister and I talked about. I dream, I'm dreaming about COVID now, for Pete's sake. And yet, and yet, you're making a decision, it sounds like, to move forward because it sounds like that's the right choice for your family. You feel like you're comfortable doing that, Terry. I'm so sorry for your loss. I know that there are so many millions of people who have lost loved ones over the course of this pandemic. And look, I hope that your bowl game doesn't get canceled or postponed. I hope you get down to Tampa. I've been to the Outback Bowl twice when my Northwestern Wildcats were in those games. It's a really fun time. So I hope your team wins. I hope the game gets played. I hope you have a safe and Merry Christmas. And thank you so much for calling in. And again, our condolences about your parents. Thank you. I appreciate you, and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Terry. Thank you. 833-456-1300. Are your family plans getting changed at all? 
given everything that's happening. Some of it might be your choice or not your choice. Some of it is just like, hey, you have a plan to come to New York and see the Rockettes, and all of a sudden the Rockettes aren't performing. The theater's closed. Sorry. Plans changed not by your choice, but by someone else's or by local edict or ordinance. 833-456-1300. Ed is in Louisiana listening on KPEL. Ed, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, I'm uh, canceling a trip to Quebec just because they have such restrictions on restaurants and gatherings and urging people not to open their businesses. I'm not afraid of COVID. I'm vaccinated. Um, I, I love to travel, but I won't go to Quebec because of the restrictions. Because is the thought being, why bother going through this whole hullabaloo and the expense and the inconvenience of travel to then be somewhere where you can't really enjoy it? exactly the point i, I want to see historical sites i want to meet people in restaurants i want to you know just do things in the city and it sounds like the city's going to be fairly well shut down and not allow that kind of thing to happen uh well i mean look that is the frustration of all of this and it sort of flares up from time to time and it seems like people are maybe freaking out a little bit more than they need to but it also absolutely impacts the decision-making process for people like you, even if you're going about this in a very rational way, you said you've been vaccinated. Well, I hope you can find a way to have some fun and relax and celebrate Christmas, Ed. I'm very glad that you called. Thank you so much for listening. 833-456-1300. 833-456-1300. Ezra in Atlanta on our great affiliate down there, Extra 106.3. Ezra, welcome. Happy Good. Christmas time to you. Good Thank you. Good afternoon. Stay safe to everybody. Have a Merry Christmas. Um, I am not vaxxed. I had COVID in July. I'm 66 years old, in good health. I'm getting on a plane tomorrow. I'm flying all day. I'm going to enjoy myself. I'm going to be around people who are vaxxed, who aren't vaxxed, and I'm going to be fine. So your Christmas plans are full speed ahead, no changes in the world of Ezra. Well, I'm going to stay away from herds of Democrats so I don't get mentally <laughs> ill, but otherwise you are correct. All right, Ezra, thanks for listening out there. Merry Christmas to you. 833-456-1300. Do you have plans that are either changed or completely unchanged based on this? And some of it might be regional, right? I think places that are bluer are more likely to have changes thrust upon you whether you like it or not. But it's not completely tribal or partisan or ideological either, right? If my, my parents aren't boosted yet, as I mentioned earlier in the show, they're scheduled to get boosters. It's hard to get boosters in a lot of places right now. It's inconvenient. They're not available. Slots are not available for days or even weeks. And if my parents have waning immunity and haven't been boosted and there's a positive test, that would definitely change our Christmas. We're just praying that that doesn't happen. And our plan is to do what we were going to do all along. What about you in your house, in your family? 833-456-1300. Rick calling from West Palm Beach, Florida, listening on the Fox app. Rick, glad you're out there. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. And Merry Christmas to everybody. Merry Christmas. I am not changing my plans. Uh, forge forward are my two words of the day. My daughter lives in, uh, in, uh, in Arizona. We're heading out there after Christmas. We rented a house in Santa Fe for the New Year's, and we're really looking forward to it. Well, that sounds beautiful. Have you been to Santa Fe before? 
It's on my bucket list. Uh, it's, it's amazing. Something I love historic preservation, so I'm looking forward to, to visiting that beautiful city. You're going to have a great time out there, Rick. Stay safe. Merry Christmas. Thanks for calling. Thanks for listening. 833-456-1300. 833-456-1300. Toll free here at the Guy Benson Show. We are listening to you. I want to hear what your plans are because, you know, we hear the politicians talk. We hear the media talk. How is America actually acting? That's what I want to know from you in this audience today. 833-456-1300. Keith in Louisiana, also listening, KPEL. Welcome, sir. Good afternoon. How are you, sir? Very well. Thank you. Good. Well, I was just calling to let you all know that uh, our plans for Christmas are changing as uh, our my father-in-law has become a little too feared and will not allow us to stay in his home for Christmas. So uh, we're traveling to New Orleans. We have other family there. It's just I uh, thought I'd share that when I heard what y'all were discussing. Um, he's vaccinated. We're vaccinated. But yet his precaution is no one comes in his home. Uh, well, I mean, look, it's his home, his castle, his choice. That's obviously such a bummer. Although I have to say New Orleans is not that bad of a consolation prize. You can eat and drink pretty well in that city, Keith. I hope that you have a great Christmas regardless. And hopefully next Christmas will be different. Thank you, Keith. Thanks, buddy. Bye. Let's get back to the phones. 833-456-1300. 833-456-1300. Virginia, Otis on the Fox stream. Otis, welcome to the Guy Benson Show. Thank you. I actually live in Clearwater. I'm, I'm heading uh, home from uh, Virginia, seeing my daughter and family. Oh, nice. So, uh, Where in Virginia? Yeah, so, uh, uh, in Harrisonburg, Virginia. Okay, there you go. He's at JMU. So... Uh, anyway, uh, no, I am not making any changes to plans. I plan to have a quiet uh, Christmas with my significant other in Clearwater, and then we're, we're going to be going to a house party for New Year's. So um, I just recently recovered three weeks ago from COVID, and um, I, I was vaccinated. And um, How was it? Was, so it I, was it pretty mild? Uh, not, not for the first two or three days, Oof. but then I got the, uh, I got the infusion. Uh, the governor of Florida set up these centers. Down yeah, yeah, the, the the antibodies. Yes, because I'm I'm high risk with health issues. And, Did that help? Did that so help your condition? With within 24 hours, I was feeling better. Wow, it was amazing. See that? So, see, I'm actually uh, Otis. I'm so glad that you called. Not just because I got to say go Dukes on behalf of my JMU friends, but because you just described something that really is a key difference between March of 2020, which was so bleak. We all remember it, April. Versus now, we not only have the vaccines, which make things more mild if you catch it and protect against hospitalization and death. We also have things like these treatments, like the antibodies. And I know DeSantis was criticized for it when he was setting that up all over Florida, except it works and it works really well. And that, to me, is a game changer. There's also this new pill coming out that's about to be greenlit from the FDA, we believe, from Pfizer. Where once you get the infection, once you are sick, it helps you recover and get better. That is a huge difference. I just wish that those treatments were much more widely available than they are. Rather than speeches from President Biden, we've gotten a lot of them on COVID over the last, what, 11 months. I would have liked to see more action on that front. Because Otis just gave us his example. He got the antibodies after getting a breakthrough case, and he was feeling better within a day. That, I think, is really interesting. Otis, glad you recovered. Glad you're listening on The Guy Benson Show. 
833-456-1300. Brent, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Brent, welcome. Glad you called. Hey, Guy. Yeah, glad to be on. Uh, Nothing changing in our family. Uh, Love my family. Can't wait to see them. Uh, Are you staying in Florida or are you traveling? I'm going to Atlanta some, Charleston some, so I'm definitely on the move. I'll be in car, on plane. Uh, so, yeah, I'm All right. pumped. I, 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 uh, I echo what you were just saying, and I echo what, you know, sort of the theme of the last caller. You know, there's a lot of treatment out there, and we just we can't be afraid. We need to just move forward. All right, Brent. Love it. Stay safe out there. Planes, trains, automobiles, whatever it might be, be safe. Have a very Merry Christmas. 833-456-1300. Let's see. Chris is in St. Louis, Missouri. Chris, I understand you did some changes last year, but that's in the past. Well, there, yeah, that's correct. I, I listened to the suggestions, or we did as a family, and changed all the plans for Thanksgiving last year and Christmas. But this year after Christmas last year, we're like, we're not changing anything. And this year, um, not changing anything. Back to the old traditions, and you're going to see each other. Yeah, and to you guys' point earlier, somebody made it's like, I just got back from Puerto Rico, and it's like, you know, it made me think of a year ago when I was there, how we're there at with COVID down there. There was people running on the beach with masks on. I was just like, it made me think from a year ago where we were at. Yeah, but, it's, uh, it's, been, it's been a wild ride in a lot of ways, and... People want normalcy so badly, and I think it is so frustrating to many of us that we don't have it yet, and some of that is just beyond our control, but some of it is, and we can make decisions, good, responsible decisions, and choose to get closer to normalcy or choose not, and a lot of this does come down to personal comfort. I just don't like when the government is getting in the way and making all sorts of onerous edicts, often that have nothing to do with actual science. Good call. Appreciate it there. 833-456-1300. The lines are absolutely jammed. More of your phone calls. I want to hear from you. Any changes? Is Omicron changing the game in your house for Christmas, in your household, within your family? Whether it's your decision or someone else's, or you're saying, screw it, we're doing this. 833-456-1300. More of your calls next. Guy Benson will be right back. Guy Benson Show, 833-456-1300. Are you changing Christmas plans at all over the holidays due to Omicron? 833-456-1300. Gabrielle in Oklahoma, you are up on the Guy Benson Show. That is me. I am Gabrielle from Oklahoma. I moved to Oklahoma from California 18 months ago to flee COVID restrictions. And now I'm traveling for New Year's back to California to help my sister flee to Texas. (laughs) So how's that working out for you? Have you enjoyed the new life? We love it. We feel like we've moved to America. That is terrific. Well, Merry Christmas. And once you get your sister to freedom in Texas, please make sure she listens to the Guy Benson Show. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Have a great New Year, Gabrielle. I love that story. 833-456-1300. James on the line from New Hampshire, the Northeast. We've got your governor coming up in the next hour on the show. James, welcome. Yes, thank you. Uh, I I hope that uh, you have a great talk with him. He's a great, great uh, friend of mine. Um, I have had no changes to my uh, my plans for the, the holiday. In fact, 
you know, I think it goes state by state as to whether your governors run the state right or not, um, because I go out and I don't even remember that we've got the COVID thing going on most times. All right. I mean, that's fair. Have you done the whole vaccine thing or what's been your attitude on that? I've been double vaxxed, but I haven't gone in for the uh, booster yet. All right. Fair enough. And maybe you will, maybe you won't. But regardless, we hope that you stay safe and have a very good Christmas. And James, will say hi to your buddy, the governor, coming up here uh, in a little less than an hour on The Guy Benson Show. Thanks for the call. 833-456-1300. Back to Atlanta and 106.3 Extra. Sarah, you're on the line. Thanks for calling, Sarah. Thanks for listening. Absolutely. Um, We are not changing plans for Christmas. Absolutely not. No. Um, whether you're vaccinated or unvaccinated, everyone is welcome at our house because I truly feel like the vaccine doesn't even work. And I say this because the White House administration is a perfect example of this. Everyone there apparently is vaccinated. They've had their booster shots, but they're still getting COVID. Yeah. And look, Sarah, I would I would agree to a point and also would disagree to a point. I think that they have oversold the extent to which the vaccine's prevent transmission of the virus. That is true. I know lots of people with breakthrough cases. I had a breakthrough case. What the data is also showing, though, is that the vaccines are extremely effective against preventing hospitalization or death. I just think that's how they should have been selling this thing because that's the accurate way to do it rather than raising expectations to a point where people like you say, well, hang on a second. You've been saying this. I'm seeing that try to reconcile it, and I tried to do it for you there, Sarah. I'm very glad you're listening in Atlanta, our terrific affiliate. Thank you to Charlie and Kelly and Jody and Linda and so many others. We are up on a hard break, so we've got to take it. A lot of calls on this. Really touching a nerve for sure. When we come back, we will turn to a medical doctor. We've heard from you. Now let's get to a doctor, Dr. Siegel, joining us straight ahead on The Guy Benson Show. city in the world unconventional talk from a fresh unconventional conservative guy benson show it is a brand new hour on the guy benson show live from new york thank you for listening three to six p.m eastern every weekday guy the podcast is always free join me on gutfeld tonight with greg and cat and company 11 p.m eastern Fox News Channel. Fox News alert as we begin the hour. Big day on Wall Street. The Dow up 560 points, closing out at 35,492. With us now is Dr. Mark Siegel, Fox News medical correspondent, author of COVID, The Politics of Fear and the Power of Science. You can follow him on Twitter at Dr. Mark Siegel, D-R-M-A-R-C. S-I-E-G-E-L. Dr. Siegel, welcome back. Guy, great to be on with you. I can't wait to watch you on Gutfeld tonight. Should I be. Mean, f- that's a tough format. It's going to be peering over his eyeglasses at you. <laughs> it's a challenge, but it's always a lot of fun. I've got a Christmas sweater look that I'm going to go, not like a, a loud, ugly Christmas sweater, but a little uh, sort of red sweater for the season. So uh, it's a little preview of my sartorial choices that I've made for Gutfeld tonight. Doctor, I want to ask you first about the president's speech that he gave just a little while ago, right before we came on the air, laying out some plans. He took some questions back and forth. Were there one or two big takeaways that you wanted to comment on from a medical perspective? 
Well, first of all, the conciliatory tone and the idea we're living with this virus and not we're going to vanquish it overnight and, and you know, we're moving on. The, the, there, there always was a sense before this that he's inherited a mess and he's going to fix it. Well, obviously, more people have died under his administration from COVID. And, it, you know, it's it's been spinning out of control and it, 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 too much of the blame game back and forth. I felt the change in tone today. That's number one. Number two, I like that, that, that we're getting these home tests because I and others have been calling for this for months, Guy. I mean, yep. you know, we're conscious of the fact that, and this is pre-Omicron, we're conscious of the fact that you got to go to a CVS and beg for a test if they even have one. And with Omicron, everybody's out of them. So, yep. so in other words, if you think you have COVID, the first thing you have to do is go out on the street to try to, to prove it. So I like that. It's a step in the right direction. I don't actually think half a billion tests is enough. I think it should be a billion. And I think it's got to be more than just a website. I think maybe the I should I was going to say, I think the post office should deliver it to everybody. I don't know if that would actually work. But but the point is, we've got to get it into people's houses because I want to know who has this, who doesn't, who's been exposed to it, who isn't. And then we take it from there. And then the next thing, which he didn't say, is I want the day of the, the quarantine days cut down from 10 to 5 because I think this variant uh, is one where you get it faster. Right, it's a shorter duration, right? Lately. It looks less severe and shorter duration. Right. Especially, by the way, especially if you've been boosted or have recently had COVID. So in other words, the combination of various kinds of immunity is, and that's still not on the docket for, you know, for our government, which is to acknowledge immunity from infection. I think that that should be a, a part of the pie. How is that and, possible? And it, like we're we're 21 months, is it 21 months into this thing, and we still, as a government in the United States, are not acknowledging something that doctors and scientists admit is a real phenomenon, natural immunity. We're not incorporating that into our policies in a major way on really any level this deep into the pandemic. I don't understand that. Well, I, I talked to Dr. Walensky about that a couple of weeks ago when I interviewed her. My sense is twofold. She feels it's variable and she feels that it shouldn't. She said three things. One, it's variable. Two, it, it's, it wanes over time. Same as the vaccine does, right, by the way. Right, exactly. And, three, and three, you may not be able to prove you had it because you didn't get tested in a timely manner. But I should point out, none of that matters to Israel. Israel, if you if you had a positive PCR, you get six months before you before they say you need a vaccine, I think that I think that the that the vaccine one that one shot of a vaccine plus having had COVID gives you a substantial immunity, and I agree with you. It needs to be factored in. It should be factored in. Is that the variable tr- part of it? Everything's variable. Var- response to the vaccine is variable too. Is it true? Because this is an asking for a friend, as they say, by which I mean very much asking for myself. I have two shots, as you know, plus a breakthrough case. I had Delta. Is my so-called super immunity from previous variants, does that still hold effective against Omicron? Or could I also get Omicron because the variant seems to be different? That's a really sophisticated question. I would say that with your two shots plus COVID, Delta, you probably at worst will get a mild case of Omicron. Now, it depends how you want to roll the dice. I'm a believer in as much immunity as possible. So if you said to me, if you were the friend that called me and said, should I get it? I'd say, how do you do with the vaccines? And if you did fine, I'd say, well, why not get it? The more immunity, the better. If you had a rough time with the two vaccines, I would probably say to you, well, that 
that natural immunity you have from COVID is worth a lot too. So you when you say get it, when you say get it, are you talking about the booster? Yes. Yeah. I would say you don't need, need the booster given your situation. The other thing you could do just to complicate this further is get a spike <laughs> antibody protein. If you get a an antibody level and it's low, I would be more inclined to take the booster. And I, look, it's it's so complicated. I think people really need to take responsibility and take their own health into yeah. their own hands. Talk to their doctors. Make some of these decisions. Don't freak out. We're in a much better place than we were in early 2020. Well, and yet it feels and I know the president made that point. He was right to a point. But it does feel kind of like those early days again with people kind of freaking out and the breathless coverage and things getting canceled and theaters and sports shutting down and long lines for testing that I don't know. I can understand why some people are at least sensing. Here we go again. Well, they better not. And that we bet everything you just said better not happen because all of it is a vast overreaction based on hysteria. We're talking about a variant that appears to be milder. We got a vaccine that works. The booster definitely works. If you've been boosted recently, you have substantial coverage against Omicron. You likely would only get a very mild case. If you had COVID again, we just told you how that factors in. All of this matters. We're talking tools here. So let's get the rapid testing out there. Let's get that packs. Let's get let's get that Pfizer pill approved. Yes. So that we have another tool. We need the tool. So there's a substantial difference between the beginning of the pandemic and now, which is we have way more tools. The thing that hasn't changed, and you just pointed it out, Guy, is all of the hysteria. And, you know, it's almost cruel to, to bring us back to a mindset of, of shutdowns and closures when, when that didn't even work to prevent the spread of the virus. I want to ask you a question, doctor, that might be more of a policy question, a public policy question than a medical question. But it's been bothering me a lot the last two days, and I want to let you at least take a stab at it if you want to. And it's this, because you're right. You've got that toolbox with a lot more tools than we had a year or a year and a half ago. There's there's no question about that. What I'm frustrated by, because you're right, he was more conciliatory, the president was today. I think that's maybe easier to do once you've got all these hundreds of thousands of deaths on your watch. It's easy to say, oh, it's unacceptable for a president to preside over something like this when it's the other guy that you're running against. And then more people die on your watch. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, well, maybe let's not do the blame thing. I don't know how how truly magnanimous that is, but it's still it's a welcome departure from some of the previous tone when it comes to Trump and the last administration I don't want to just blame Joe Biden. Clearly, it's a pandemic. There are variants. Things mutate. There's not anyone specifically at fault for this. And you could talk about the Chinese Communist Party perhaps being one exception. But where I am frustrated is how is it conceivable a year and a half plus, almost two years into the pandemic, that in major American cities, you can go to a drugstore and cannot find COVID tests, where you have people queuing up in lines for hours in the cold outside in cities like New York and D.C. and elsewhere just to get tests on a disease that has been the dominant story in our lives for 20, 21 months. How is it possible when the president says, as he did several times today, that booster shots are widely available How is it possible that when my producer tries to get a booster appointment, she can find one slot in Staten Island in mid-January? And my parents had to wait weeks 
to find a slot up near them. My husband is still waiting to get his booster shot. We ordered, what, hundreds of millions of these things. Why are they so hard to get and at least schedule, you know, weeks out when you've got this super contagious variant flying all over the place? It just feels like we should be in an even better position than we are right now. And I feel like some of that actually was in the control of this administration. And this is still where we are. I think I agree with every word you just said, and I don't think you even hit all of those points. I mean, we're in a pandemic. We're in an emergency. How about starting, and he still didn't do this today, how about starting with admiration for the prior administration, bringing the vaccine to market for to nine months? He actually belittled that when he first became president, saying, well, the distribution chain doesn't look good. And I was thinking, wait a minute. You're talking about Gus Perna here. You're talking about the United States military. You're talking about meeting after meeting with CDC, bringing people together who aren't usually together, the public-private partnership, which the president, the prior president was quite good at. So maybe it's a little humble pie right now because where's the current public-private partnership? Where's the boosters you just said in every pharmacy? Where's the rapid tests in every home? Where's the, the antibodies? Sitting at, the antibodies. Where's the pill that's sitting there at the FDA stalled? Where's the antibodies? There's actually one set of antibodies that GlaxoSmithKline makes that is much better against Omicron, much better than against Omicron. And the government purchased a paltry 50,000 doses, not not 500,000, not not 500 million, rather, not 100 million, but 50,000. I mean, this particular administration has not been good at making that public-private partnership work that we need. What did you make of the White House statement on WhiteHouse.gov talking about if you're vaccinated, you can uh, get through this. And if you get infected, you'll likely be fine. If you're not, it's going to be a winter of death and destruction, the likes of which we've never seen. I'm sort of exaggerating a little bit, but not not a lot. That's kind of what they put out there. Look, I am a firm believer. The data does show if you're vaccinated, you are much less likely, much, 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 much less likely to go to the hospital or to die from COVID. That is that is absolutely true. I do also wonder if you're trying to convince vaccine holdouts, is that kind of language the best way to go about it? In your experience as a doctor who probably talks to some uh, some vaccine skeptical patients over the course of the last you know year or two, what do you think of that? posture and that verbiage from the white house i think i think it's it's fear-mongering and i think i I was thinking about this a lot over the last 24 hours because i've written several books on fear as you know i've actually come to the conclusion that fear is a motivating tool works but only if it's really well defined and really specific not some generic you know if you're not vaccinated watch out or it's a winter of death and destruction how about taking your fear messaging and just say this, if you're boosted, you're safer. If you had COVID and you're boosted, you're even safer. You know, not, not so that people understand. People already understand watching TV without you, Mr. President, that, that, this, that this is a scary situation. It doesn't have to be compounded and it doesn't have to be all you ever hear. We need kindness, we need unity. We need, we need reaching across the aisle. Reaching across the aisle does not mean my way or the highway. I, I, gave him a, I gave an idea again today. It's saying, you know, President Trump, thank you for the vaccine. 
you know, and, and everyone who worked on it with you. That would go a long way. It's not too late for that. And I am pleased to see Trump see, uh, sort of leaning even more aggressively into taking credit for Operation Warp Speed and saying we, meaning he and his supporters and conservatives and, and what have you, we need to take credit for it and not let that just, you know, be the left that owns the thing that we did that saved millions of lives. I, I think that that's a bit of a change in his tone, but it's something to me that is that is welcome. And it's also totally defensible just in terms of the substance of it. Last question for you, Dr. Siegel, and it goes back to our call topic in the first hour. We had our lines filled up with callers all over the country. My question was. Are your Christmas plans or your holiday plans changing because of Omicron? Because some people are sort of uh, getting a little nervous and and deciding, you know, maybe this isn't the right time to have a lot of people to the house or to travel or whatever. Lots of others are saying, nope, we're doing this no matter what. We made changes last year, not again this year. If you had just an, an average patient or family reach out to you and say, doctor, we really want to have as close to normal of a Christmas as possible, what would you say the best practices would be? What would you advise people to do if they want to have a normal Christmas, but they also want to stay safe? What would be those best practices in December 2021 based on everything that we know? An amazingly important question. First of all, I'll start in a place you don't expect. I would say international travel is of concern right now not because of the risk of the plane flight at all, but because you don't want to go somewhere and not be able to come back because you test positive. So so that that's the one thing about international travel. I actually think it's safe to travel internationally, but I'm a little concerned. Nationally, domestic travel, I'm fine with. I'm not so worried about planes. I think the HEPA filters work. I think that airports are what concern me. So wear a mask at the airport. I think we need better masks. I think the masks we've been using, I like the KN95s for casual travel. I think the surgical masks work, provide they, they fit properly. I don't think the cloth masks work at all, and everybody's wearing them. And you can tell a Democrat because they're wearing a cloth mask down around their chin. That's a joke, guy. You could use that on Gutfeld tonight. I but, might steal it. But anyway, but, yeah, you might steal it. But, but the point is, I think if you go to gather and you're gathering in a home, you know, obviously, if you've been recently vaccinated or boosted or had COVID and, and we know about it and you had antibodies, all, all the better. If we can get the rapid testing and there's somebody you're concerned about, you know, that they could put others at risk, a rapid test. Right. That's and that's it. and that's exactly what I did just this past weekend going to a wedding, the sort of combination of what you just talked about. Wise words from Dr. Mark Siegel, who is Fox News Medical correspondent, you can follow him on Twitter, at Dr. Mark Siegel. Doctor, always appreciate it. Thank you so much. Guy, great pleasure, and Happy New Year, Happy happy Holidays, Merry Christmas to you. Same to you. Quick break, right back on The Guy Benson Show. Guy Benson will be right back. I'm Guy Benson. Governor Chris Sununu of New Hampshire coming up in the next segment. Broadcasting from New York today. We've been talking about President Biden. He got another piece of bad polling news, this time from NPR and PBS. Not exactly uh, some right-wing organization. That pollster surveyed the American people, and the president is 14 points underwater on approval. 14 points underwater. Majority disapproval. He's at 41.55. Among independents, he's at 29 approve. 66% disapprove independents who were a big reason why he won. 
So the American people see what's happening and they don't believe the spin that the White House is putting out in their new documents. There's some new memo that they put out. Oh, Americans are better off now than they were a year ago. Oh, they might have a point on some of those elements, spin on other elements. But the fact is the American people aren't feeling it in their lives. And you can't just like give them a memo and change their mind because people are experiencing things. I saw one political analyst said that Biden's approval rating on average is lower than Carter's was at this point in his presidency. Woof. All right, Governor Sununu, on tap on The Guy Benson Show. You don't want to miss it. It's next. You're listening to a new generation of talk, Guy Benson. I'm Guy Benson. Welcome back. Still to come, Matt Finn with an update, a very intriguing one on the Smollett case in Chicago. And then Robert O'Brien, former national security advisor under President Trump, he will be joining us in the next hour. But with us now is the governor of the great state of New Hampshire, Chris Sununu, a Republican. Governor, welcome back to the show. Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas. Thanks for having me on. How are you guys doing down there? Doing great. I have to confess right off the top, Governor, that I am disappointed, as are many I'd say conservatives in the D.C. area that you made the decision, what, a couple weeks or months ago now that you have no desire to join us down in the D.C. area and run for Senate. You're going to run for reelection as governor in that state. I was rooting for you to join the United States Senate because I'd have a new friend in the Senate. But you made the choice for you and your family and your state. Any second guessing of that, any cold feet or not really? You're, you're, You're comfortable with it. Oh, dear God, no. No, the, the, the more, um, with all due respect to the, to the Senate on both sides, the more U.S. senators tried to convince me to run, the more I knew that staying in New Hampshire was far and away <laughs> the best way to serve my state. It's just, it's just that simple. They, they, they just, they're okay doing nothing for long periods of time. They're okay fighting over one bill weeks on end. Uh, i got to make 50 different decisions a day and, and innovate and design systems and all that kind of good stuff. It's challenging. But it can be incredibly fulfilling. And I just feel like too many folks in Washington are just disconnected from their constituencies. And, and that's not my style. That's all. It's just, it, it ain't my jam, you know. Well, so I, uh, I love doing what I do in New Hampshire. I think the argument would be that one of those members of Congress who is disconnected from her constituency is Senator Maggie Hassan from New Hampshire. People were hoping you would challenge her. Polls suggested you would have a really good shot at beating her. Do you still think whoever, you know, next man up or next woman up, do you still think that the Republicans in your state have a good shot at defeating Senator Hassan next year? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, that would that played into the calculus. It wasn't just Chris Sununu being the 51st vote. First, I think the Senate can win 53 or 54 seats. Uh, I think New Hampshire is definitely in play and will likely be a Republican flip, uh, the Democrat to Republican flip next year. We have a, a couple of decent candidates that are likely going to battle it out in a primary. And frankly, that's a good thing, too. It gives us a lot of momentum. And Senator Hassan is very well known. People know what she's about. Her poll numbers are terrible. They ain't going anywhere. They're really not. She's not going to convince voters that all of a sudden that she's somebody that she's clearly not. She doesn't connect with people. She hasn't been in literally just has not been in the state for years uh, until the campaign. And this is New Hampshire. Maybe that that flies in other states. But in New Hampshire, you know, you got to be here and you got to be engaging. So without a doubt, I I really do feel like this is going to be a very flippable Dem to Republican seat, even without me running. All right, Governor, I want to ask you about COVID. We heard from the president earlier today. Love to get your reaction to that. And just to sort of set up the contours maybe for your answer, we just had Dr. Siegel on a few minutes ago on the show. 
what I'm struggling to understand, and because you're a chief executive of a state in this country, you're probably in a better position to answer this than even the doctor was. I'm not sitting here blaming Joe Biden for all the problems plaguing the country with COVID or Omicron, just like I didn't blame Donald Trump or anyone else for what happened last year. What I am struggling with is that we are almost two years into this whole mess and this nightmare. And in a lot of places around the country, there are long waits still to get tested. There are not readily available antibody treatments or or other effective treatments that we know work, but there's not enough of it in some of these places. And it's being rationed because we haven't ordered or supplied enough of those things. You sort of go down the list of things that might be actually within the control of the federal government or state level governments. And you say, okay, like booster shots. I saw you got your booster shot recently. You put it out on social. You encourage other people to get their booster shots. My parents live in Massachusetts down the road from you. It's taken them forever to get a slot just to go get that booster shot. Same with my husband, same with my producer. It feels like we should not be in that position. We should be in a better place than we are right now. Why aren't we? Well, it's, it's a good question, and the answer is this. Um, you can take each one individually. Number one, there's been complacency around this country around COVID, right? We're all tired of it, right? That's just a fact. Um, and so when the boosters were first made available, we didn't have people knocking on the door to get boosted as much as we wanted them to. We've been warning folks about this winter surge since back in about July or August. Yep, we the knew seasonal it was stuff. We, yeah, we've been planning for it. And, um, and so, you know, we've, as much as we've been telling folks it's real, I think until they started seeing the numbers really skyrocket here in New Hampshire or, or in their own state, they don't they don't quite take it seriously sometimes. And so all of a sudden there's a massive rush on the system. Then Omicron hit, creates, creates another rush on the system. The holidays are coming. There's a rush on the system. Now here in New Hampshire, you know, we, you brought up testing. We've been very aggressive with home testing. Three weeks ago, the Biden administration was telling us home testing isn't the answer. In New Hampshire, we did it anyways. We were the first state. To, if you, at no cost to the individual, you went on our website, you could click. Two days later, Amazon was dropping tests off at your front doorstep. We put a million out in the first day. Cra- crazy successful program. And that uh, ultimately, I think they saw that success. They've changed their mind, and now they're going to make it a nationwide program. Wait, a million on the first day? First day. Million, it was really in about eight hours. What's the uh, population in, in New Hampshire? 1.4 million people. Yeah. So, no, they, it was it – was, we already wow. have the second round about to go two days from now. Uh, we're already going to do the second round. Eventually, the, the, it sounds like the president was talking about a program uh, almost exactly like ours nationwide sometime in January because they're realizing the ease of getting a test in your home, the, the quickness you get that result, it helps you reduce the transmission of the virus. It's not Washington wants to control everything, right? They want to control. And they said, well, if people are getting a test in their home, we won't know that data. What's more important? That the guy, the, the, the man right. or woman with COVID knows the data or that you, the government, knows the data. So they finally woke up. It, it was very successful, and now it's going to be drawn out nationwide. So that, that's great news. Um, you know, the monoclonal antibodies. We can only, as a state, I can only get as many monoclonal antibodies as the federal government will give me. And so we take our maximum allotment every time. I called FEMA three weeks ago. I said, you have to send me more. They sent me about 3,000 more doses. It's just that's not helpful, even close. But, not even close to what's needed. Not even close to what's needed. And here's the, the, the really somewhat scary news. The one real downside that we know of, of Omicron right now is likely that the traditional monoclonal antibodies like Regeneron 
might not be might not work against Omicron. We might need a different antibody for that. Um, so there are other other treatments that work, but traditionally what we've been using for antibodies might not be as effective as Omicron. So now we're going to have to draw down a whole new different regiment of, of antibodies. Um, so th- there's a variety of reasons why, but at the state level, it's always about opening doors and innovating, right? We knew this was coming, so we've had the ability and been working with our hospitals to flex open beds a lot faster. We've been working with our hospitals to move long-term care patients into long-term care settings much, much faster. But the fact of the matter is is that uh, Delta is ravishing folks, there's no doubt. Omicron, whether serious or not, it still remains to be seen. But those individuals, I mean, I've walked the hallways of these ICUs. It is scary stuff. These folks are not in an ICU for five or six days like you see when you get a heart attack. They're in for five or six weeks, which is why a, a COVID bed is so much more problematic mm. than a heart attack or a stroke victim that is using that same ICU bed. And that's part and of that's the reason why, why you rolled up your sleeve and had the, the photos flashing of you getting your booster shot, trying to encourage other people to do the same. About a minute to go or so, Governor. Last question, just a philosophical one for you. Live free or die state. How do you try to kind of toe the line between pointing people in the right direction and not trying to control their lives? Less than a minute, Governor. Yeah. Uh, Real quick, look, you have to have empathy for for folks that are scared. COVID is a very scary thing. You have to create doors of opportunity, but that doesn't mean you start shutting everything down. Because when is it going to stop? My job is to play for the long game. We might be in this for years. So if you're using states of emergency and mandates like a light switch on, off, on, off, you're going to drive your economy crazy. You're going to create a lot of uncertainty. you got to be consistent. That's how you walk the line. Yep. And people will stop listening, too. If you're doing it all the time, they just tune it out and... That's another problem unto itself. Governor Chris Sununu of New Hampshire, he's running for re-election next year. Big year ahead politically and, of course, on the public health front as well. Governor, appreciate it. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, brother. Be safe, everybody. We'll be right back. It's The Guy Benson Show. We're back on The Guy Benson Show from New York City. Thank you very much for tuning in. Catch me tonight on Gutfeld. I'll be on that panel. Always a blast. Joining us now is Matt Finn, Fox News national correspondent. Matt, welcome back. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Guy. Thanks for having me. You bet. So last time we had you here, it was to discuss the Smollett case. And, of course, that culminated in guilty verdicts on almost all of the counts against him. I think that was a sense of vindication for the Chicago police. A lot of people in Chicago were very angry with what Jesse Smollett did with his hate crime hoax. But... There's another angle to this. There's another side to this whole story. The reason that he was convicted in a new trial is because the previous plea deal that he was given, this sweetheart deal from the county prosecutor in Cook County, Illinois, that had been thrown out. And that's when the special prosecutor got involved. The special prosecutor not only prosecuted Smollett, but has also been investigating that sweetheart deal and the people involved in it. There was a series of developments yesterday on that front. Tell us about what you've learned. 
Yes, and this is another level of vindication in many people's eyes, and that is that Dan Webb, the special prosecutor, has now referred Kim Fox and some of her attorneys to the Illinois Attorney Registration for ethics violations for knowingly lying about Smollett's case. Dan Webb, the special prosecutor, he concluded that Kim Fox and her office engaged in, quote, substantial abuses of discretion and operational failure in part by knowingly making misleading comments about the case. Uh, and also that Kim Fox lied about when she stopped talking to Jesse Smollett's sister uh, about the case. And this is a story you can find on foxnews.com. Uh, Cook County State's Attorney Kim Fox repeatedly told the public that she cut off communication with Jesse Smollett's sister when, in fact, she continued to talk to uh, Jesse's sister about the case and even offering perhaps some legal advice, saying Jesse's going to be okay uh, if his story remains consistent. Guy. So that is obviously a huge red flag even to a layperson who doesn't know much about legal ethics. If you have a top prosecutor in a jurisdiction lying to the public and lying apparently while the investigation is underway about what she in this case was up to, who she was contacting, whom she was in touch with, the nature of those conversations. I don't know. To me, that seems not only like a very bad thing that would necessitate intervention, which is what we saw here from the special prosecutor, but potentially some form of sanction professionally or otherwise disbarment. Is there any sense of what the consequence would be here for Kim Fox? Yes. You know, I I spoke to the Illinois attorney uh, registration and they will, as a part of policy, they will not comment on any active investigation. Uh, but I was told that, you know, if an attorney is found uh, to have lied about a case, knowingly and publicly lied about a case, they can get something small as a censure or they could ultimately be disbarred. Uh, and a, a lot of that has to do with the nature of the lie, you know, um, how, how bad it was, uh, if there are any mitigating or um, exacerbating factors. So we'll stay tuned for that. And another thing, guys, as we know, is to Throughout the active investigation, Kim Fox and her attorneys at one point kind of did a blitz of media saying that, oh, this was alternative prosecution. We do thousands of these types of cases every year. Well, then ultimately they couldn't provide one single example right. of alternative prosecution. And that is also a part of the knowingly lying and misleading the public. I mean, it seems like almost everything about her handling of this case was deeply questionable and fishy. And I think for there to truly be justice over the course of this episode and this humiliating saga, you have to not just have the initial perpetrator held to account, which he has been, but also the people who greased the skids for him to almost get away with it while lying and misleading about what they were up to. What is Fox saying in response to these findings and this referral from the special prosecutor? She says she respectfully disagrees with Dan Webb's findings of prosecutorial discretion. She says that her own discretion as a prosecutor is very broad and that they have a difference in opinion in how she handled the case and that that was not an abuse of discretion. Well, I mean, you can have a difference of opinion and you can have a difference on your interpretation of prosecutorial discretion. You can't really have a difference of opinion if there is black and white lying. Right. That would ultimately be, I guess, up to this neutral arbiter to decide whether it's proven that she lied. But if you can just line up her statements and juxtapose those with a very different, I'd say a far different reality, 
then she can talk about disagreements or we can agree to disagree. No, there's truth and there's a lie. And if she told these lies, then there has to be some sort of ramification for her in terms of her career and her viability as a law enforcement officer in Cook County, Illinois. Last question, Matt, back to Jussie Smollett, the now convicted felon. What's the timeline for his sentencing? What is the range of expectation of what might happen there? He is scheduled to be sentenced uh, in a matter of weeks or maybe months. And you and I know we've heard all different theories that he's going to get, you know, community service, probation and fines. Uh, but then also this judge may find the, uh, the fact uh, that he cost the city of Chicago so much time and money that he lied about such a heinous crime, a hate crime as a black gay man. And the judge may look at that and say, actually, you do deserve some jail time. Is he going to get years? No. Is he going to get several months? Could it be 30 days? Perhaps. Yeah, I mean, I think him being behind bars for some period of time is appropriate because there are aggravating factors that you just listed, Matt. And I understand that lying about a hate crime or faking a hate crime is not the same as actually committing a hate crime. But if the extra time that gets tacked on to sentences for hate crimes is to deter actions that are meant to so discord and fear and sort of promulgate hate and terror throughout a community lying about something like that to me is a very serious offense and then it would follow that he also lied on the stand because he testified that it was all not true and he was innocent no one believed him especially the jury so if there were ever a case to send someone to prison even for a period of time when it comes to a hoax like this at least in my book, as a non-lawyer and a non-judge, this would be the moment to do it. And I guess we will find out in a matter of weeks if the judge in this case shares my mindset or is going to go a bit more lenient. Although this could either way take a pretty big chunk out of Smollett's bank account, right? Yes. The city of Chicago, by the way, is still suing him for about $130,000. They say that's the amount it cost them in overtime. And they say that that guilty verdict reinforces uh, that lawsuit. So they are pursuing yeah. that as well. And you have to wonder, uh, he had you know, a ton of attorneys where all that money was coming from, who was funding that. And the lawsuit was certainly strengthened by the outcome of that jury verdict. You're absolutely right about that. And if he's hurting for cash, maybe his dear friend, the vice president, Kamala Harris, can do like a a GoFundMe or something, as she did for the rioters in Minneapolis. She contributed to that fund, so she has very interesting priorities when it comes to law and order and the enforcement of law, given her background as a prosecutor. We've got to leave it there for now. Matt Finn, Fox News national correspondent, joining us on the Smollett case. Matt, appreciate it. If we don't talk to you in the next couple of days, have a wonderful Christmas with your family, and we'll talk in the new year. Back at you. Thanks for having me. Final hour of The Guy Benson Show. Coming right up, Robert O'Brien, former national security advisor under President Trump. He joins me straight ahead. clock in the most powerful city in the world, Washington, D.C. It's time for the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to America. Visit thelongdrink.com. And now, here's your host, Guy Benson.
happy hour time on the Guy Benson Show. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Guy Benson. GuyBensonShow.com, our website. Podcast is always free. Merry Christmas, one and all. And this hour is sponsored by The Finnish Long Drink. Delicious, refreshing. TheLongDrink.com, their website. You can find out where they're sold near you or order online. 21 plus, always drink responsibly. TheLongDrink.com. Joining us now is Ambassador Robert O'Brien, former National Security Advisor under President Trump. And he joins us now. Mr. Ambassador, welcome back. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you, Guy. And uh, I hear the Finns are sponsoring the show. That's great. They just bought F-35s from us. So hopefully they'll <laughs> use some of the profits from the uh, the long drink to pay for those F-35s and American workers that uh, around the country that are making that great airplane. Oh, we love to see it. And that's a great plug for Finland. At this point, I feel like I need to put Finland near the top of my list for an international destination. Considering how often we talk about it and how often we enjoy their delicious product on the show, I almost feel like I should get an all-expense-pay trip to Finland. Christine is like, bring well, me. It, it's, a great, it's a great country and, uh, and tough fighters, tough warriors. And uh, so, so it's great that they're buying the F-35. It's great they're selling it for their product on your show. So I, I also good, might good to be with you and Merry Christmas. It's great to have you. I'm thinking I might want to wait maybe till the spring or summer because I'm not sure if, let's say, January in Helsinki is the paradise that I'm thinking about at the moment. So we'll let things sort of thaw down a little bit, and it gives me something definitely to think about, sir. All right, let's talk about foreign policy. That is your bailiwick. That, of course, was your portfolio in the Trump administration as national security advisor. A few hot spots around the world when it comes to geopolitical tensions, and I'd say probably at the very top of the list, well, you could argue Russia and Ukraine. I'm going to ask you first, though, about China and Taiwan. What is your overall assessment of where the Chinese are, what Beijing is thinking at this moment. And is there credibility in your mind behind the speculation, or is at least there's something to the speculation that once China gets past their winter Olympics and their PR coup on the global stage, they might get more aggressive with the Taiwanese in the months to come. So so I made that very comment in an interview with Nikkei a couple of months ago and it, I got a lot of coverage. Admiral Davidson, our former PACOM commander, Indo-PACOM commander, talked about a five-year window uh, that the Chinese would look to taking to take Taiwan. Uh, I'm very concerned about a window between February when the Olympics end and and look, they're, they're not going to do anything to disrupt the Olympics. Dictators love the Olympics. It's a it's a dictator thing. They get to show off the power and glory of their country and and bask in international uh, attention and. Unfortunately, in a very, other than a, a diplomatic boycott, which means uh, Dr. Joe Biden and second gentleman Doug Emhoff probably won't go to Beijing. Other than that, uh, the Olympics appear to be going on, on without a hit, without a hitch. Uh, but a- after the Olympics and before the November 2024 elections, when you know whatever happens in this country, uh, folks overseas watching the, the current state of the administration can only assume that you're going to have a, a conservative Republican return to the White House to clean up what's what's going on right now. That window of 2022 to 2024 is a window for the Chinese to take action against Taiwan, where they're going to believe that America is weak and and that the window may close on them with the president, the return of President Trump or President DeSantis or President Pompeo, uh, and the window would close. And so I'm very concerned about that time frame between February 2022 and November 2024. Let's drill down a little bit first on the Olympics there. Are you saying that the policy of the U.S. would be different about the Olympics if Donald Trump were still president? Or would you perhaps advise him to go further than what we've seen with this diplomatic boycott? 
Uh, I would have, and I, I don't know what the president would have done. Uh, I'm probably Pompeo and others have called for a full uh, boycott of the Olympics, athletes and all. Uh, I think it's very tough to do that to the athletes who prepared for four years and may have you know one window in time to, to compete at the highest level to, to earn their medals. Uh, but but certainly a commercial boycott of the Olympics. I mean, I can't imagine how it's going to play 20, 30, 50 years from now when our students are learning about the Uyghur genocide, when they're when they're learning about democracy being wiped out in Hong Kong, when they're worried about the ethnic cleansing that's taking place in, uh, in, in the Himalayas, uh, uh, looking at the, uh, the, the attacks on the, the Indians uh, uh, in Ladakh, looking at the South China Sea, uh, you know, the Dalai Lama in Tibet and the ethnic cleansing that's taken place there, but also the, the land that's been taken from Bhutan. You know, how, how is it going to play for, for Nike and the, these companies that, that put their prestige on the line at the Olympics in uh, you know, 2022, in hindsight, it's like IBM assisting the Nazis in the 30s. It's going to take many years for the companies to overcome that moral stain. So I, I would like to see at least a commercial boycott of the Olympics. We shouldn't be legitimizing this regime and what they're doing. And there's also, you just ran through the rap sheet there, and it's long, and you could have gone on. We didn't even get into the cover-up of COVID and the origins there and the lab leak theory and any of that. There's also an athletics tie-in. Right there is a sports-related addition to that list, with tennis star Peng Shui having accused a top communist official of sexually assaulting her. Then they disappeared her for a while, and then when the world got concerned about that, and I would say officials in the women's tennis world really stuck their necks out for her, which I think is uh, quite brave and courageous, given the cravenness that we've seen from many other organizations, including the National Basketball Association. They were demanding answers. They produced her for some. Potemkin appearances and some photo ops and that sort of thing. And now she has recanted her story and saying, oh, she was misunderstood, clearly done under duress. It's chilling. Well, and I want to echo what you said about the Women's Tennis Association, the WTA, because if there's a profile and courage award, I mean, there's certainly profile and craveness awards that go to many of the American companies uh, that have that have kowtowed to the, the regime and in Beijing and, uh, and and certainly individual athletes and, and actors who apologize at, at the you know the, the drop of a hat by the the Communist Party of China, but how about the Women's Tennis Association standing up for Peng and, and demanding that she be freed and, and her, her and not only that but that her charges be investigated? Uh, what, what a profile and courage from from one of the smaller sports organizations, but uh, they, they've certainly got my. my uh, I tip my hat to the WTA. Uh, yeah. Very, very impressive, and, and I've got a, a whole new level of respect for the women that are that are both playing and and running that organization. That that it took to the WTA to stand up to China when when the, the IOC won't, and when the NBA won't, and when the NFL won't. Uh, it, it's pretty impressive. And yet, it's still sickening that they have clearly coerced this woman into walking away from her allegation and saying, "Oh no, that's not really what happened." That's been a, mis- a misunderstanding or a misrepresentation, and it's it's very scary what can happen in totalitarian countries, especially when they're trying to protect prestige and save face ahead of a big event, in this case, the Olympic Games. Last question, Mr. Ambassador, on Taiwan. Let's say during that danger zone that you described, after the Olympics but before the next U.S. presidential election, let's say China moves on Taiwan with some sort of invasion or some very aggressive or bellicose military action, what would be the appropriate response from the United States of America? 
Well, we can't lose Taiwan. I mean, it's a democracy. They're, they're, they're wonderful people, but it's geopolitically critical to the U.S. So unlike other countries where, uh, you know, we, we can afford to, uh, uh, not, not that we want to, but we can afford to see democracy extinguished, but it doesn't affect our day-to-day life. Uh, losing Taiwan would, would affect our day-to-day life. It would give the PLA Navy absolutely open access to the entire Pacific Ocean, uh, from you know Australia to Hawaii to even you know my home state of California, where I'm, I'm speaking from today, um, up through Alaska. Uh, the, the Japanese would be utterly cut off uh, from us and from, from their allies to the south, uh, whether it's the Philippines or Thailand, treaty allies of the United States, Australia, New Zealand. I mean, it would be a geopolitical catastrophe. So we need to do everything we can to strengthen the Taiwanese. We need to help turn them into a porcupine. We need to give them the anti-ship missiles, the, the, the naval strike mines. Uh, and and we, we need to encourage the, the Taiwanese to take up arms in their own defense. They need shooting clubs like you've got in Eastern Europe. They need to train their civilians and citizens, uh, you know, how to behave in the event of a, of a Chinese invasion. That will, and what that will do is deter the Chinese planners. It'll make it more complicated for Chinese planners to plan an invasion if they know that they're or two or three million uh, Taiwanese armed with AK-47s ready to come out of their homes and their villages and their cities right. to defend their country. A citizen a, a Chinese invading force. guerrilla force, right, just defending their, their homeland. That's what we're seeing in Ukraine. And there are military recruitment ads that I've seen floating around the Internet. The Ukrainians are girding for what could be another invasion at the hands of Vladimir Putin and the Kremlin what is your analysis, Mr. Ambassador, and my guest is Robert O'Brien, former national security advisor under President Trump. What is your analysis of the Biden administration's handling thus far of what some people believe is a forthcoming, if not imminent, Russian invasion of a larger swath of land in Ukraine? Well, listen, we, we need to get the Ukrainians the lethal aid they need, and, and there has been some open-source reporting over the past couple of days that uh, we've had U.S. Uh, Army officers in Ukraine helping evaluate their air defense systems. And you know, my, my hope is, is that we're getting them, uh, in a quiet manner, uh, the weapons that they need to defend themselves. I, I've been to Ukraine, and the Ukrainians are prepared to defend themselves. They don't, they, they're not asking for U.S. troops to defend them, but they are asking for the ammunition, for the weapons, for the platforms, so that they can defend themselves against the Russians. And we need to make sure that we as the arsenal of democracy, uh, uh, get them what they need. I mean, it's, I, I think of the $80 billion in equipment that was left behind in Afghanistan that the Taliban is now driving around in and flying in. And I, and I think how the Ukrainians would have used those uh, oh. rotary wing aircraft, the helicopters, the, the close air support uh, uh, fighters, the uh, That's uh, a the great point. The Humvees, everything that was in Afghanistan. Gosh, it would, wouldn't it have been great if we got that to, to Ukraine to defend themselves against the Russians? But what? unfortunately, it wasn't to be. A dispiriting point that I had not thought of. But yes, of course, they could use at least some of that because we left a ton of U.S. equipment for these terrorists to take and use, and they are doing so. What would Putin's calculation be? I mean, you can't climb into his head. Many people have tried through the years. What is his calculation here of why he's doing this, why he is at least rattling the saber and building up troops along the border there? And what would it take, in your view, to deter him, where his calculation would actually change from him saying, this might be good for me within a domestic audience, this is something that I feel good about for Russia and Russia's prestige and projection of power and all of that versus, well, this might be more trouble than it's worth. What does that calculus look like in your mind? And the deterrence factor, I guess, is, is a key part of that question. I think there are two parts to a guy, and it's an excellent question. I think part number one is 
the Europeans have to rally to the defense of Ukraine here. And, and it doesn't necessarily mean German troops or, or British or French troops in Ukraine, although President Macron has been very outspoken and has probably been the, the, the leader of the free world, so to speak, when it comes to Ukraine and has suggested that France might supply troops to Ukraine. We'll have to see how that would play out. But the Europeans have to let the Russians know that they will be utterly cut off from the international banking system. This won't be a few U.S. sanctions on Russian oligarchs so they can't go to Crete for their summer holiday or they lose a bank account in Switzerland. This has to be the Europeans saying, we're not going to buy your gas. We're going to get LNG from Texas and, and from, from Australia and from East Timor. Uh, we're going to build ports and bring the LNG in. We're going to shut down Nord Stream 2. Is that a credible threat, though? Everything that you're describing, is that a credible threat in Putin's mind? It would be if the Germans came out and said, this this can't happen, we're going to have no other choice. We're, we may not send troops, but you're, not, you're going to be cut off from the international banking system. You're going to be cut off from the international finance system. Your only market, your only place to go is going to be China. And in that relationship, you are going to be a very, very, very junior partner to Xi Jinping, the uh, general secretary of the Communist Party of China. And, uh, and that, that's not something that I think Putin, Putin does not want to be Xi Jinping's second fiddle. Uh, so so he, they, number one, the Europeans have to really stand up and say, you're cut off if this happens. Number two, I think the Russians have to understand that there would be support for many, many years for a, a, a long-term insurgency, especially in western Ukraine, where you've got Ukraine, people who speak Ukrainian. They aren't fond of the Russians. They're, they're generally Catholic. Some are Ukrainian Orthodox and, and, and uh, you know, very nationalistic, uh, either Orthodox or Catholic in, in western Ukraine. They look to Europe, and, and the Russians have to understand that they would have a long-term insurgency that would bog them down in Ukraine for many, many years to come, and there'd be a lot of Russian kids going home in, in, in body bags. And, and I think that would make Putin very unpopular. So, you know, what, what he wants is to maximize pressure on the border and get some concessions from the West. He already got Nord Stream 2. He got a clean extension of New START. He had to give nothing for either of them. Now he's going to try and get some sort of concession from NATO that we won't defend Poland or we won't defend the Baltics, if you look at their new treaty proposal, or, or that he can have free reign in Ukraine uh, and make it the old Finland, not the current Finland spine F-35s, but the old Finland during the Cold War that that, uh, that was a supplicant of Moscow. And, and so that that's that's what he's looking for, and he's hoping to get it for free by doing nothing more than massing troops on the border. And we've got to make sure he doesn't get that. One more topic for Robert O'Brien on The Guy Benson Show after this. Guy Benson will be right back. Former National Security Advisor Robert O'Brien, my guest. Lastly, Mr. Ambassador, the Abraham Accords. We saw roughly a week ago Naftali Bennett, the new prime minister in Israel, travel to the United Arab Emirates. This was historic for all the obvious reasons. Talk about the significance briefly of that visit and the ongoing legacy of those peace deals that some critics sort of turned their nose up saying it wasn't that big of a deal or before that saying it was impossible and unthinkable. They were wrong. Your thoughts. How, how terrific is it to see that, that, that flight with all the things that are going poorly in the world with, with Taiwan and China and Ukraine and Russia and Iran? How terrific is it to see an Israeli prime minister get on an LL flight, the blue and white LL flight with a star of David on the tail and fly right into the heart of of, uh, of the Arabian Peninsula into the UAE and, and be welcomed with a red carpet. I, I took that same flight. I was on the, the very first flight, an LL flight that flew over Saudi Arabia to uh, Abu Dhabi International Airport with Jared and, and the rest of our team after the, the accords were signed and with my Israeli counterpart, Mayor Ben Shabbat, the National Security Advisor. And the Israelis had tears in their eyes when it happened. I'm sure there, were, there, there was a similar feeling on, on Natali Bennett's flight uh, to the UAE to be welcomed as, as friends and brothers. 
I mean, how great is it to look at, at to watch TikTok and, and Instagram when your kids show it to you, and there are bar mitzvahs taking place in in Dubai. I mean, who would have thought that Dubai would become a, a hot spot for bar mitzvahs? I mean, <laughs> with this peace breaking out between Sudan and Bahrain and the UAE and Morocco and Israel, the fact that Israelis who are from Morocco can now go see go to Jewish cemeteries in in Casablanca and, and Marrakesh and and the great cities of Morocco, and see their see where their ancestors are buried, and pay their respects to them. I mean, these, these are these are things that are just that are heartwarming. And you know, we need good news. And the Abraham Accords was great news. I, I, I'd said many times, if this had been any other president, they would have been given the Nobel Prize for uh, for for what the president did in in achieving the accomplishment of the Abraham Accords. But but to watch it flourish after President Trump left office, when people said it wouldn't have legs. To watch it flourish after the UAE yeah, has decided not to buy F thirty five not to buy F thirty fives, which everyone said this was they did it just for the arms and yet yet the the relationship between Israel and the UAE is strong, uh, notwithstanding the uh some of the failures of uh of diplomacy with UAE uh and the US. So it, it's I think it's a great news story. I think it's something we should celebrate as Americans on both sides of the aisle. I mean this is not a partisan issue. This is a this is an accomplishment of the United States of America and I and, and I hope that everybody uh, felt the same pride that I did and you did when we saw Prime Minister Bennett land and go see Mohammed bin Zayed uh, and um, the, the Crown Prince of the UAE and, and, and to see peace flourishing between those two yep. two countries and peoples. We're up on a break. Ambassador Robert O'Brien, former National Security Advisor under President Trump. Sir, we so appreciate your time. Merry Christmas. Hope to catch up in the new year. I, I look forward to it, Guy. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year, my friend. It's Robert O'Brien on the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, which returns right after this break. You're listening to a new generation of talk, Guy Benson. Guy Benson Show Happy Hour. Earlier in the show today, Dr. Mark Siegel was here, of course, talking all things COVID and Omicron. This freakout that we're seeing, is it overblown? Is some of it warranted? What can or should people do? That's part of what we discussed this one-on-one with Dr. Mark Siegel, Fox News medical correspondent. Listen. Doctor, I want to ask you first about the president's speech that he gave just a little while ago, right before we came on the air, laying out some plans. He took some questions back and forth. Were there one or two big takeaways that you wanted to comment on from a medical perspective? Well, first of all, the conciliatory tone and the idea we're living with this virus and not we're going to vanquish it overnight and, and you know, we're moving on. The, the, there, there always was a sense before this that he's inherited a mess and he's going to fix it. Well, obviously, more people have died under his administration from COVID. And, it, you know, it's it's been spinning out of control and it, 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 too much of the blame game back and forth. I felt the change in tone today. That's number one. Number two, I like that, that, that we're getting these home tests because I and others have been calling for this for months, Guy. I mean, you know, we're conscious of the fact that, and this is pre-Omicron, we're conscious of the fact that you got to go to a CVS and beg for a test if they even have one. And with Omicron, everybody's out of them. So so in other words, if you think you have COVID, the first thing you have to do is go out on the street to try to, to prove it. So I like that. It's a step in the right direction. I don't actually think half a billion tests is enough. I think it should be a billion, and I think it's got to be more than just a website. I think maybe the I should I was going to say I think the post office should deliver it to everybody. I don't know if that would actually work, but but the point is we got to get it into people's houses because I want to know 
who has this, who doesn't, who's been exposed to it, who isn't. And then we take it from there. And then the next thing, which he didn't say, is I want the day of the, the quarantine days cut down from 10 to 5 because I think this variant uh, is one where you get it faster. Right, it's That's a shorter duration, right? Lately. It looks less severe and shorter duration. Right. Especially, by the way, especially if you've been boosted or recently had COVID. So, in other words, the combination of various kinds of immunity is, and that's still not on the docket for, you know, for our government, which is to acknowledge immunity from infection. I think that that should be a, a part of the pie. How is that and, possible? And it, like, we're, we're 21 months, is it? 21 months into this thing, and we still, as a government in the United States, are not acknowledging something that doctors and scientists admit is a real phenomenon, natural immunity. We're not incorporating that into our policies in a major way on really any level this deep into the pandemic. I don't understand that. Well, I, I talked to Dr. Walensky about that a couple of weeks ago when I interviewed her. My sense is twofold. She feels it's variable and she feels that it shouldn't. She said three things. One, it's variable. Two, it, it's, it wanes over time. Same as the vaccine does, right, by the way. Right, exactly. And three, th th and, and three, you may not be able to prove you had it because you didn't get tested in a timely manner. But I should point out, none of that matters to Israel. Israel, if you if you had a positive PCR, you get six months before you before they say you need a vaccine. I think that I think that the that the vaccine one vac, one shot of a vaccine plus having had COVID gives you a substantial immunity. And I agree with you. It needs to be factored in. It should be factored in. Is that the variable part of it? Everything's variable. Var response to the vaccine is variable, too. Is it true? Because this is an asking for a friend, as they say, by which I mean very much asking for myself. I have two shots, as you know, plus a breakthrough case. I had Delta. Is my so-called super immunity from previous variants does that still hold effective against Omicron or could I also get Omicron because the variant seems to be different? That's a really sophisticated question. I would say that with your two shots plus COVID Delta, you probably at worst will get a mild case of Omicron. Now, it depends how you want to roll the dice. I'm a believer in as much immunity as possible. So if you said to me, if you were the friend that called me and said, should I get it? I'd say, how do you do with the vaccines? And if you did fine, I'd say, well, why not get it? The more immunity, the better. If you had a rough time with the two vaccines, I would probably say to you, well, that that natural immunity you have from COVID is worth a lot, too. So you when you say get it, when you say get it, are you talking about the booster? Yes. Yeah, I would say you don't need, need the booster, given your situation. The other thing you could do just to complicate this further is get a spike <laughs> antibody protein. If you get a an antibody level and it's low, I would be more inclined to take the booster. And I, look, it's it's so complicated. I think people really need to take responsibility and take their own health into yeah. their own hands, talk to their doctors, make some of these decisions. Don't freak out. We're in a much better place than we were in early 2020. Whoa. And yet it feels, and I know the president made that point, he was right to a point. But it does feel kind of like those early days again with people kind of freaking out and the breathless coverage and things getting canceled and theaters and sports shutting down and long lines for testing that I don't know. It, I can understand why some people are at least sensing. Here we go again. 
My full exchange with Dr. Mark Siegel, Fox News medical correspondent and author of COVID, The Politics of Fear and the Power of Science, is available online. GuyBensonShow.com. Also part of the free podcast every day on demand, no charge. GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. We had our biggest month ever in November, so thank you all for that. When we come back, the home stretch, a few things to get to, including a pet cruelly abandoned by the president. Kind of reminds me of something. That's the home stretch when we return. For the full interview and more, go to GuyBensonShow.com. Home stretch on the Guy Benson Show. You see this? The uh, the Biden dog, Major, is out. Major has been booted from the White House and rehomed, quote unquote. Bye bye. As Trump would say. Bye bye. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> I guess Major was not a terribly well-behaved dog. They didn't get him trained up properly. And they're just washing their hands of Major, saying we can't really have this dog around anymore, which I don't know. To me, that's not a great move. To have a dog and then just give the dog away. Like, oh, it's in consultation with the vets and all this other thing. This is for the best interests of the dog and for everyone involved. I feel like... This is a commitment. A pet is not just a disposable creature. But I guess if it's an optics problem for a politician, it can be disposed of. And that's what happened here with Major. And there's a new dog. They've already replaced him. Commander has arrived on the scene. Hopefully they train up Commander a little better than Major. I just feel like if Roy started to misbehave, I couldn't look at Adam being like, oh, you know what, this is annoying. Let's just uh, rehome him. And part of me also wonders, is that a euphemism? Oh, we rehomed the dog to a better place. He's in a better place now. Like when you tell the kids that the dog's off on some farm in Amish country now, when in fact that's not what happened to the dog. I'm not saying they killed Major, but... This does seem awfully familiar to a story that we reference quite a lot on this show involving our very own producer-in-chief, producer Christine, who famously as a child had a pony, rejected the pony. The pony was rehomed, quote-unquote, to a garbage dump in Staten Island. And the big golden corral in the sky. No, no, you got to stop. That's not what happened. I think Carousel and Major might be frolicking together up in heaven. So you're going to defend Biden on this, aren't you? I, I don't often defend yeah, no, <laughs> Joe Biden. Rejecting and abandoning a pet so I and think perhaps putting an end to the pet. That's not what happened. That's, and that's sort of up your alley. This listen, is where you're a very niche audience for this. You are, you're the Biden base on this issue, actually. I'm all for animals. Some may say I'm an animal rights activist. No one would say that. Some. No, Carousel's ghost would haunt you if you said that. But I'm also for rehoming. If, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. You know, Carousel was a monster. She was, <laughs> she was, <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. She was evil. She was an iron-footed beast, and she had to go. We couldn't live like that any longer. <laughs> You're talking and, about your pony. Yes, my little red pony. She was like, little, 
little tiny <laughs> carousel. You're calling her a monster. She was evil. An evil monster. So you're saying that Major got what he deserved. No, well, no, but maybe somebody else. I, I and my family could not train. We've tried. We tried and tried to train Carousel, and she just wouldn't. She was just awful. She, maybe she just didn't want to be there. So we had to get rid of her. I mean, we had to rehome her. Get rid we of had her, to. I think, is you slipped there. So there was an Amish family that was willing to— no, and this is a true story. You keep saying, mm-hmm. it, my father said there was a, a little boy in the Amish country that he knew. I don't know how he would know an Amish family, but he knew them. And they worked with pony, like they could train horses. No, what happened was you got tired of carousel and all the work that it took to train this poor animal. And you just did as what? We were like eight or nine, however young you were, just the old throat slit gesture. And Carousel was sleeping with the fishes. Carousel and Jimmy Hoffa have been roommates for a while. That's what happened. No, that's not. I may have said to my mom and dad, and my mother loves to tell the story, uh, mom, dad, get rid of the sucker. I mean, that's the type of thing that gets played on a mafia tape that the FBI gives to the prosecutors at trial, right? When like the Don calls out a hit. Get rid of the suckers. Like, uh, and Your Honor, uh, we'll play the t- stop the tape, and you will direct the witness to answer. What did you understand that to mean? To whack him. No further questions. I mean, we understand what happened here, Christine, and now it makes sense that suddenly, yet Joe Biden's approval rating went up to forty-one percent because you got a phone call. You disapprove on most things, but given the axe, bark back better. To poor major, this is this was a a direct pander. I ju- I to just you. no, I just feel as someone who is has a, an enormous love for animals and mm. will fight no. for them. I rescued a puppy last year. I didn't want the puppy. I know you were talking about getting rid of Rosie. No, too. I never said I was going to get. Don't, don't well, if Megan hears this, she's gonna, well. We've already established Megan cannot listen to the home stretch. No, she's going to think her mom is an alcoholic, crazy psychopath who wanted to get rid of Rosie. Shot her pony. Yeah, I mean, Merry Christmas, Megan. We do a truthful show here, right? Truth to power, and that's the Guy Benson show. We also don't want Megan listening to the home stretch because she might start to once again lower her percentage chance of you guys selling the house. Because last time we checked, you had accepted the deal. The offer was accepted and all things were a go. Systems were a go. But now you say there's been a wrinkle. Yes, we had a feeling this may happen, but the contract went to our attorney. And our attorney, within an hour of reading it, wrote back to us and said, could you please call me? And then we got in the phone yesterday and he said, uh, over my dead body, will you sign this contract? Uh, they tried to sneak in way too many things that we were not going to cover or pay for. So now he. So it was a kind of a bit of a mirage when they were waiving some of the contingencies. They tried to write the contingencies sort of through a back door into the contract anyway. Yes. yes. And my lawyer said, I would never let you sign this. I would so are you, you countering back? So, yeah, what we, we got rid of everything that they wanted us. So it's like your new verbiage. You're going to yep. send back to them. Correct. I'm not a lawyer. I don't speak lawyer talk, but we edited it down and said, here, 
there you go. And we also told our real estate agent, it is Christmas time. We don't want to deal with this right now. So there's no back and forth here. That is it for well, us. What else did your agent tell you, though? Because you've got some added leverage, I would say, in this situation. They want the house. They might not be happy with the changes to the contract or the undoing of their changes to the contract, frankly. But you said there are people practically beating down the door of your house wanting to get in, even though it's under contract. Well, like 10 people want to get in still? So even before our lawyer had looked at this contract on Sunday night, our real estate agent emailed us and was like, hey, guys, I am getting an insane amount of requests to see this house. So she said, technically, you can still show the house even when you're in attorney review because things could fall apart. Which they might. Right. So we at first were like, no, we don't want to be greedy. And then I called Judgey Joyce because she's good with all the stuff. And she's like, of course, you dummies. You yeah, show the house. If there's all this interest and there's an issue, like if there were no issue, I think in good faith, you just move forward. But if there are question marks that have arisen, then I think keeping the flow of people through the house adds to the pressure on the buyer's side as well and also gives you guys potential flexibility and more options moving forward. Who knew? Eyesore Lane, so hot right now, Eyesore Lane. one last thing I have to tell you, one of the neighbors came over to us, because remember I told you there's four houses in a row after my inflatable went up last year? I cannot believe that people are following your lead on Christmas blowups. It's it's a good look. It's a, it's a nice look. And this year, we, we all said on not. Sunday, because we were all outside, we decided um, this week, lights and uh, inflatable stay up uh, 24 hours. So because like, it's Christmas week. Yeah. As opposed to deflating them during the day, which is extra yeah, they do look depressing low. looking. But they asked us if we could. Oh, I said it last year. It's like someone did a drive-by on Santa and the reindeer, and they're just collapsed in a puddle on your yard for half the day. By the way, flying back from Mississippi from this wedding that I was at this past weekend, I was landing in Houston, which was the connecting flight. I guess right outside of Houston, there's a big lake. And there were some communities right around that lake. So we were descending. There was a neighborhood in that vicinity. Every single house, it looked like, had not just a sprinkling of Christmas lights, but epic Christmas lights. This neighborhood was lit up. You could see it from the sky. I was actually impressed. I almost took a little photo out of the window to give a shout out to whatever that neighborhood is, where they clearly take their lights very seriously. Well, why would you give them a shout out and not me? I didn't see inflatables. Oh. Yeah, I saw lights. I like Christmas lights. It's a big you, difference. You haven't been to, uh, as you call it, eyesore lane. You don't know. You that don't know how true. pretty it looks. You're no. right. I Go ahead. Why I mean, haven't you been there? You You answer that question. Because... I haven't invited you. Uh Aha, there it is. So I can only imagine in my mind's eye, based on your description, and based also on the context of your real estate agent begging you to take your decorations down. Don't forget the people looking at the house complaining about the decor. Yes, as you listen to them, spied on them. Little elf on the shelf. Spying on the people in your own home. Cookie in a corner. And getting really mad. I mean, getting very angry at them. It's rude. Maybe like preparing to go all carousel on them if they say one more word. It's rude to complain about really nice decor. I know what <laughs> I've put, the effort I've put into this house. How dare you speak to an animal activist like that? An animal activist. Oh. 
We got to go. Got felled tonight, 11 p.m. Eastern Time, Fox News Channel. I'm on the panel, filling in for Kennedy tomorrow on FBN. We're back here on the radio, same time, same place, from the Big Apple. Have a great night. Merry Christmas. Talk to you tomorrow. The world of business moves fast. Stay on top of it with the Fox Business Rundown every Monday and Friday. Listen to the Fox Business Rundown starting May 20th at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.